We're beginning a brand new series of messages today, and I'm excited about this series because we're going to have some fun. You guys like to have fun? And uh, it's funny when I I choose a series because I I know like sometimes the series titles, like like sometimes the series titles are clear. Like we started this year with a series called Let Me Pray About It. And you know, that's pretty obvious. We're going to study about prayer. We're going to learn together. You're going to know how to pray. Um, sometimes though the series titles aren't clear. Sometimes they're clever. And like we, we just did a series called team spirit and we did the series called Deuteronomy where like you kind of know, but you don't really know. And I like that intrigue. But if I'm honest with you, sometimes the series titles that might just be confusing. And I think this is, is one of them summer block party. I know it's confusing because our team, I always try and put together a little synopsis of what needs to be communicated in our emails and social media. And they're like, what? in the world is summer block party about? Is this even in the Bible? What are we preaching? But uh, I kept telling well, what we're going to do in the series, we're going to have fun. We're going to have fun. And a little context, see, every year I lead our church in this tradition of getting a word from God for the year. Now, for, for me, it's not so much about the word. It's really about the practice of seeking God it's about the practice of learning to hear from God. And the word is really just something to help frame your faith over the course of the year. So we've been doing this for years now at our church. We usually do it at the end of the year or maybe the beginning of the year. I encourage you to seek God for one word for your year. And my word this year was fun. Kind of a strange word. I don't know what that says about me that I felt like God needed to build some fun in my life. But my, my word for the year is fun. And when I have a word, I don't just like to have a, have a word, but I like to try and share with you the things that I'm learning, what God's showing me. And so I'll, I'll maybe do a message or a series. And that's what this series is about. This series is really from this word fun that, that I've been studying. And I don't know if you realize this or not, but fun is spiritual. Fun is spiritual. And if you don't believe that, you're going to see that today. But do you know that God likes to party? He, he does. And in fact, in scripture, there are mandatory parties. God's people, he gave them some commands, not just times of fasting, but times of feasting. And and these parties, these feasts, there are seven of them in the Old Testament. These weren't optional. These weren't suggestions. Like sometimes we think God only has rules around the stuff we're not supposed to do. Like, you know, don't steal don't lie. Don't commit adultery. That's how most of us think about God. We never even consider the fact God had some mandatory rules about parties. And in the Old Testament, there's seven special times that they were supposed to have a festival or a party. And you can read about them for yourself. There's one called the, the feast or the festival of unleavened bread, the feast of weeks, the feast of first fruits, the Passover. You've probably heard of that. The feast of trumpets, the feast of tabernacles. And these feasts were giant outdoor block parties. No matter how busy you were, no matter what was going on in your life, no matter what mood you were in, the party was not optional. And where we're going to look at today and Nehemiah chapter eight, we're, we're going to look at one of these times of feasting, one of these parties that God had ordered and implemented. And what I'm going to do is I'll read the, about 10 verses to you up front. And then I'm going to, as we get into it, I'll, I'll break out the context and 
give you some background on what's happening. So if we jump in and you feel like I have no idea what he's talking about or what's going on, just hang with me. We'll all be on the same page before we're done. Because one thing you can always count on when you come here, if you're new to our church, we're always going to study the Bible together. We're going to see what God's word has to say. We're going to learn to apply it to our life. And it's going to be presented to you in a way that you can understand. It'll change your Monday. We're not just preaching for Sunday. We're, we're preaching for something that you can live out on Monday. So in Nehemiah chapter eight, verse one, this is from the NIV translation. It says, all the people came together as one in the square before the, the water gate. They told Ezra, the teacher of the law, to bring out the book of the law of Moses. This is the, the Pentateuch or the Torah, the first five books, which the Lord had commanded for Israel. So on the first day of the seventh month, Ezra, the priest, brought the law before the assembly, which was made up of men and women and all who were able to understand. And he read it aloud from daybreak till noon as he faced the square before the water gate in the presence of the men, women, and others who can understand. And all the people listened attentively to the book of the law. Now, Ezra, the teacher of the law, he stood on a high wooden platform built for the occasion. And Ezra opened the book and all the people could see him because he was standing above them. And as he opened it, all the people stood up. And Ezra praised the Lord, the great God, and all the people lifted their hands and responded, amen, amen. Now, I don't know what your church background is. I don't know what kind of church you grew up in. or Maybe you don't have any church background, but let me tell you, this is our kind of church, right? This isn't just somebody getting up and reading scripture. This isn't just somebody getting up and giving a monologue. It's interactive. It's expressive. He's reading God's word and the people are responding and they're lifting up their hands and they're standing up and they're putting their hands together and they're saying, amen, amen. This is our kind of church, an expressive church, interactive church, a joyful church. In fact, let's just say this together because we want to be biblical. We want to be a biblical church. Let's just say together, amen, amen. Ready? One, two, three. Amen. Amen. Doesn't that just feel good? You just feel something coming alive in, in, inside of you. And some of you, you were sitting there with your arms crossed. I, I saw you. I'm coming right for you today. You're not going to have your arms crossed when we're done. It says, they read from the book of the law of God, making it clear and giving the meaning so that the people understood what was being read. Again, man, it's helpful when you understand. It's helpful when it's made clear. It's helpful to know the meaning. Verse nine says, then Nehemiah, the governor, Ezra, the priest and teacher of the law and the Levites who were instructing the people said to them all, this day is holy to the Lord, your God. Now, what he says next is really interesting because to frame this up for context, when most of us hear the word holy, immediately our mind goes to a specific place. We generally think of reverence. Maybe we think of quiet. Maybe we think of solemn or serious. Something's holy. You gotta, it's almost rigid. But he says, this day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep. For all the people have been weeping as they listened to the words of the law. Nehemiah said, go and enjoy choice food and sweet drinks 
and send some to those who have nothing prepared. This day, he repeats it, is holy to the Lord. Do not grieve for the joy of the Lord is your strength. So he's telling them this is a holy day. And a holy day is a day to set aside sorrow. A holy day is a day to set aside heaviness. A holy day is a day to be happy. So I want to speak to you from this subject today. And I'm going to need your help with this. I'm, I'm calling this message. It'll make more sense in a minute. Call this message. Set the stage. Set the stage. You wonder why I give you the titles because people like to take notes in church. And when they take notes in church, they like to have a heading. And all the people who love Jesus the most take notes. But uh, now if you don't take notes, that's fine. Well, you can just take a picture, you know, pay attention. God's going to speak to you through it. Set the stage. I thought it'd be good to have, have them out here kind of set the stage for me in a moment. But we're talking about parties. How many of you are really good at throwing a party? Anybody really good at throwing a party? We're all going to recruit you for the events team. Just a minute. I love a good party. I've had the opportunity to go to some good parties. I just this weekend, I was at a charity event. It was a great party. It was so much fun. Really well done. What one amazing party I went to this one time. Uh, I have a friend in Florida and he it was a special occasion. He rented a yacht and there were like 20 of us and 20 couples. We were on this yacht and we had dinner and he hired like this, you know, dance instructor. And we was just a, like for ballroom dancers. It was a great time. Great party. It's wedding season. You know, people are throwing some major parties after their weddings. I've even been to Radiant a time or two. How many of you know that's a great party? Yeah, it's a great party. Coming up, you can get your tickets for that in August. But I, I love a good party. And, and part of the reason I, I love a good party is because I'm not much of a party planner. I, I, I'm, I'm not. I wish I was, but I'm not. Like at our house, Marissa is kind of the master celebrator. Like she's, it, it, it's amazing to me the level of detail and, you know, intentionality she puts into a party. Because like to, to throw a good party, it's not how you celebrate on the day. It's really all the prep that you put into it. Like this week, it's my, my youngest son, Grant. It's his birthday. And he's turning 10 on Tuesday. He actually came up to me this week. He's like, Dad, will you tell everybody that it's my birthday? I don't know why. I think, um, I don't know if he just wants to be celebrated. So if you see him, tell him happy birthday. He's turning 10 this Tuesday. And I told him, son, in our family, when you turn double digits, this is the age that you start contributing to the family. So you're going to have to get a job now. You're going to have to start, you know, going to start paying rent, contributing to the groceries. Have you seen the price of gas? Come on. But it's his birthday. And, uh, and so Marissa, like she has wasted no time. There's all this stuff that she does when it comes to parties, like birthdays in particular. Like we have this one tradition at our house. This is, I don't know how long we've been doing this, but years now. I'm sure this was like 99 cents at the dollar store, but we've kept it. And uh, when it's your birthday, you don't just get celebrated. You get to sit in the birthday chair. And uh, the birthday chair becomes the birthday throne. And this is your seat for the day at the head of the table. And that's uh, part of the birthday celebration. You know, the other part of the birthday celebration is you get uh, 
you get to eat off the birthday plate. The birthday plate. This is where your breakfast morning treat, there's like usually cupcakes or donuts or whatever, you know, pie, whatever your anything you want on your birthday, you get it for breakfast, you send the birthday chair, birthday plate. There's also the birthday barricade. Now, that's what I call it. It's not the official title, but like Marissa, she'll she'll put streamers over the door, she'll put balloons over the door, she'll put like she'll seal off the door so when it's your birthday and you have to burst out of there like an athlete running through the tunnel onto the field, it's the birthday barricade and there's all these different things that she does for a birthday. It's incredible. It's it's impressive. None none of them are necessarily expensive. It's just uh, amazing to me the way that she engineers the environment for maximum celebratory impact. It's so impressive. But when you're married to somebody who thrives off of going over and above, above and beyond, it, it really can draw attention to your deficiency at decorum. Like, it's just not my specialty to celebrate things. And I'm not talking parties now. I'm just talking life. Like, like is anybody you feel like you're not good? We know who knows how to throw a party. Anybody feel like they're not good at celebrating? Like, like even just like the small victories in your life, like you're just not much of a celebrator. See, like, like in, in our house, I'm not really the master celebrator. I'm the master corrector. Like if you want to know what's wrong, like I can point it out to you. If you need somebody to straighten you out, like I can do that. I'm, I'm, the, I'm the master corrector, not the master celebrator, but I've, I've learned like before I can bring the fun, I need to address this tension because as a leader, as a pastor, as a father, for me, there's always this tension between celebration and calibration. Here, here's what I mean. Like, I don't care who you are. If you're trying to move something forward, whether you're raising kids and you're trying to help them, you are leading a business, you're leading an organization, or you're just trying to move forward in your life, there's always this tension between how much do I need to applaud and how much do I need to address? Like, is this something that I need to correct here? Because we know where we're going. We know where we're trying to get to. And we're not satisfied with where we're at in this moment. And my hunch is that there's more of you like me than Marissa, where you're better at seeing what's wrong than celebrating what's right. That's why I wanted to look at this chapter in Nehemiah, because in the book of Nehemiah, there was this problem that needed correction. And if you don't know the story, here's where I want to give you the context, because Nehemiah, when he comes to Jerusalem, Jerusalem is in a desperate place. They're in a desperate situation. The, the city had been burned, torn down, and destroyed. The, the walls had been torn to the ground in 586 BC. Now, where we're reading, this is nearly a century and a half later, 140 plus years. The city walls have been torn down, but Nehemiah, he comes and it's this incredible story. And I, I say story, it's, it's history. This is truth. Both history and archaeology will verify its validity. This story where Nehemiah, he comes to Jerusalem and does what nobody has attempted or been able to do for over a century. 
he rebuilds the city walls. And the miracle is, it's a miracle, it's supernatural. It only took 52 days. Now, anybody who's ever been part of a building project knows that that is a miracle. 52 days. And it's not a miracle in the way, like most when you say miracle, we think of something like supernatural or we think of angels. It is definitely supernatural, definitely a miracle. But the book of Nehemiah doesn't have any of those kind of moments. But he did it in such a way that everybody knew God clearly helped him in this. It wasn't something he could have done in his own strength. And as much as I love the story of Nehemiah, there is something in this chapter that stuck out to me that I hadn't noticed before. And this is what I wanted to share with you because this is after the wall has been completed and now they're going to throw a party. But the whole setting is really strange to me. It says that they came together in the public square, that they came together, they gathered around the block. And the reason they gathered, scripture tells us in Nehemiah 8 verse 2, is because it was the first day of the seventh month. Now, what that's indicating is that this is one of those mandatory parties, mandatory festivals that they were supposed to observe. This particular one is the Festival of Trumpets. It would be like our 4th of July that's coming up. It's kind of like a national holiday. But the people, because they had been living in this desperate place, this, this dire situation, they're not familiar with the things of God. They're not familiar with the word of God. They, they knew of God's word, but they weren't familiar with what it said. So Ezra comes out, he's a priest, and he begins to read to them because they didn't know the context. And so he's, he's saying, hey, this is why this is a special day. And I mean, Ezra, he must have been a great preacher. I mean, he must have really been able to communicate in a way that was captivating because it says in verse three that he preached for five hours. He read aloud from daybreak till noon, five hours. How many of you want to listen to me for five hours? Thank you. You're my favorite people. We'll meet up in the lobby. And, uh, you know, you know, he's a really good preacher because you know, the text he was preaching from Leviticus, like people are listening to him five hours from Leviticus because that's the part that details all these festivals and the rules and regulations. And he's preaching and people are standing up. They're saying, amen. They're praising God. And by the end of the message, they begin to weep. And we don't really know why they begin to cry. But there was something about what was being said that began to make them sad. And so verse nine is really interesting. It says that Nehemiah, the governor, Ezra, the priest, and the Levites, they were struggling with people. They said, this day is holy to the Lord, your God. Do not mourn or weep. Don't mourn. Don't weep. Because the joy of the Lord is your strength. Now, I'm sure there were people in that crowd. There were people in the congregation who could have said, hey, Ez, how I think of him, Ez, you don't know what's going on in my life. Hey, hey, Nehemiah, you don't realize I've just had the toughest week of my life. Hey, Levites, who are you to tell me what to do? Tell me that you don't care about what's going on. You, you don't care about my troubles because he said, don't mourn, don't grieve 
The joy of the Lord is your strength. He's not asking them if they feel like having fun. He's not asking them if they're in the mood to party. He's not asking them. He is telling them to celebrate. And here's why. It's the first thing you want to write down. Morning fails to move you forward. Morning fails to move you forward. Now, I'm not saying that there is not a time to grieve. Understand me. I'm not saying that grieving is wrong. I'm not suggesting to you that being sad is sinful. I'm not saying any of that. All I'm trying to tell you is that mourning what's behind won't move you ahead. Now, it doesn't tell us exactly why they're crying. Some scholars and some theologians debate this. Some people say that they realized how far they had fallen, that they didn't even know the things of God and they're hearing these commands for the first time and they're looking at their situation and they realize the state they're in, that's repentance, by the way, when you realize the goodness of God and where you're at, they realize that. So some people say that's why they were sad. Some people say it's because they realized how far they had to go. Because even though they had built the walls, they hadn't even started rebuilding the city. So it's like, well, yeah, I'm glad that the walls are up, but look at everything else. Look, look at the situation, look around you, like what, why does this even matter in the middle of everything else? But for whatever reason they were crying, Ezra and Nehemiah both knew that if you can't celebrate now, you won't have the strength for what's next. You need to understand that celebration is the starting point for your next step. It's the starting point. And, and this is the first tension that I want to address because I recognize for most of our lives, there is a very large gap between where we are and where we want to be. It's because you got goals. That's awesome. It's because you have ambition and you look at your life and you know, I want to get there, but where I'm at is right here. And what happens is we get so focused on where we're trying to get to that we forget to enjoy the journey along the way. If you do that, it can even get to the point where you can have your dream and even your dream will become a drudgery if you can't learn to celebrate, if you can't learn to have fun. It, it can get to the point where even things that are meaningful will become menial if you can't learn to have fun. And I know when I say fun to some of you, that almost sounds sacrilegious because you're like, you know, God's too holy to be concerned with my enjoyment. You know, God is, is too holy to care about whether or not I'm having fun. Like fun almost seems, it seems too cheap, but I want to, I want to share this with you because again, my, my word for the year is fun. And this is the verse that you need to know. Change your life. Ecclesiastes eight, verse 15. This is written by Solomon, considered the wisest man who ever lived. He said, so I recommend having fun because there is nothing better. I recommend having fun because there is nothing better for people in this world than to eat, drink, and enjoy life. Now, he didn't say that there's nothing more important. He didn't say that there's nothing else that matters. 
didn't say that there is nothing else more meaningful. He just said there is nothing better than to have fun. Can I tell you, there is nothing better for a marriage than to have fun. There is nothing better for a family than to have fun. There's nothing better for a team. There is nothing better for a church. There is nothing better than to have fun. Now, if you read on, he's not in denial. Look at the rest of the verse. He says, there's nothing better than to have fun. He says, that way they will experience some happiness along with all the hard work God gives them under the sun. So he's not saying that there aren't things that demand our attention. He's not saying that life doesn't involve hard work. He's not saying that there's not times where you don't need to put your focus and energy on something. He's not saying that there's not some things that God has called you to that are going to be demanding. He's not saying any of that. He's just saying that you got to make sure to have fun while you're moving forward. Even the meaningful things can become a drain if you don't make them fun. Think about the things that are meaningful in your life. So you're going to school because you've got ambitions, you've got goals, and if you, if you just get in the routine, it becomes a drain. Getting married, <laughs> raising kids, these are all important things. Going to church, serving, giving, bringing your tithe, these are things that you got to have some joy in the journey. You got to party while you progress. And I'm just trying to set this up. You don't have to make the choice between being busy and having fun. You don't have to make the choice between working hard and having fun. You have to make the choice between serving God and having fun, going to church and having fun, giving and having fun. Sometimes people think fun is a waste of time, but studies show that people and teams who are having more fun, they work harder, they have more energy, and they get more done together. So rather than be so destination driven, I want to encourage you to enjoy the journey and I want to encourage you to celebrate the stage that you're in because mourning fails to move you forward. Now, that's the first point. That's the first place where people take issue. The, the second place, though, where, where people will maybe take issue is they'll say, well, that's great for you, Pastor. I'm glad that your word for the year is fun. I'm glad that you're having such a good time, but my word for the year is discipline. My word for the year is determination. My word for the year is life sucks. So that's, that, that's what I'm dealing with. And I'm glad that you can have fun, but let me tell you, like some of us, we got to deal with real issues. We don't just get to work one day a week for an hour. <laughs> you know you think that. And so he said, if you knew what I was dealing with, if you knew the weight I'm carrying, you wouldn't be talking about parties and fun and happiness. And so you just try and write me off. And you're right. I don't know what you're carrying. I don't. But I do know that what you're dealing with probably isn't so different than what the people Nehemiah and Ezra were talking to were dealing with. Because when Nehemiah and Ezra went to Jerusalem, what they discovered 
wasn't just broken walls, they discovered broken people, broken lives. You see, with the walls broken down, people were vulnerable, they were unsupported, and maybe those two words, maybe that describes your situation where you feel unsupported, you feel vulnerable right now. And I don't know what the walls look like. I got these cinder blocks here, kind of represent the broken walls. But it reminded me how <laughs> many of us, this is a picture of our life. The walls were in ruins. Maybe it feels like our life is in ruins. And so I get up here and I'm saying, you know, God wants you to have fun. God wants to throw a party. And you're like, but you don't know what I'm carrying. But what I'm dealing with right now is, is heavy. And I say, well, you know, there's nothing better than having fun. And you got to enjoy the journey and celebrate along the way. And she said, yeah, but, but what I'm handling right now is rough. You might say, well, I, I, hear you, I hear you talk about celebrating where you're at, but you know, where I'm at, it just feels like a weight. It just feels hard. And I've read something in this passage, it's in verse four, that changed my perspective because I know many of you are carrying heavy things. And you're listening to me preach and you're like, that doesn't resonate with where I'm at because what I'm dealing with is heavy. But I, I noticed in verse four, and you put it on the screen for me, it says this. It says that Ezra, the teacher of the law, stood on a platform built for the occasion. And what I realized is that hard things make a good platform. Hard things make a good platform. Now, this is not what most of us want. Because I've, I've learned that what most of us want, we don't want to carry hard things. We want something that's light. We want something that's comfortable. We want the snuggy Christianity, the kind that will keep us comfortable, that we can cuddle up to, the kind that will coddle us in our dysfunction. But what I've learned is that a soft faith doesn't hold you up. It's, it's the hard things that make a good platform. It's the hard things that enable you to stand. And so some of you are saying, you don't know what I'm carrying. You don't know what I'm going through. But can I tell you, you were never supposed to carry it. You're supposed to stand on it. In fact, don't worry about whatever it is that you're going through right now. Because whatever's happening in your life, can I tell you, it's just a stage. It's just a stage. It's just temporary. It's something that God has given you to prove his faithfulness so that you can stand on it and demonstrate his glory and faithfulness in your life. So, so that's what I mean when I say set the stage. You're carrying it, but set it up. 
That means every hard thing, every painful thing can become a platform for your praise. It means every time you feel like your progress is blocked, that means that you can use it as a platform to party. In fact, every time you get a block this summer, you say, this is my summer block party. I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to set it up. I'm going to set the stage for a celebration. You can celebrate the stage that you're in. It's not a problem. It's a platform. It's a stage to stand on. And I had to chuckle a little bit at that verse when it says that Ezra stood on a platform. I'll show you this. This won't make much sense to you, but I'll explain it. Because um, it made me think of this. Now, this doesn't mean anything to you, but for us, this is like the velocity swear jar. I'm not suggesting we swear. I'm a little concerned about Nate, but the rest of us, we don't. Um, we don't. No, this is like the velocity swear jar. What I mean by that is whenever somebody says something that's out of culture, incongruent with our, with our culture, that's when we spin the wheels, our culture carousel. And we're so fanatical about this. We have this whole book called The Culture Guide of all the things we say and don't say. And if you're part of the team, you, you get this. But even like this right here, we have this whole page of just, this is what we don't say and this is what we do say. Like, I'll give you an easy one. Like, we don't say, I can always tell how connected people are when they say, because we don't say your church. Like, sometimes people come up to me and be like, man, I really love your church. It's like, what do you mean my church? This is our church. I mean, I'm the pastor, but we all have a part, right? You serve on a team, you give, you contribute. Like, this is our church. You worship. It'd be pretty sad if it was just me, right? It's our church, not my church. There's another, like, we don't say uh, talks. We say sermons. Like, like I, don't, I don't give talks. Maybe your dad gives you a talk. I don't give talks. I give sermons. A word from God, a message. That's what this is. It's not a talk. It's not my opinion. It's not philosophy. Um, but there's another one, and this is the one that gets our team more than any other. We don't say stage. We say platform. Ezra stood on a platform. And you'll, if you're around the team, you'll, you'll hear this. When people say stage, you're like, oh, i got to spin the wheel. Because we don't say stage. And, and here, here's the reason why. It's because celebrities stand on stages. We don't have celebrities here. There's only one person we're trying to make famous. That's Jesus. Right? So this is not a stage. It's a platform. But here's why. It's because, now, this might be my platform. And make no mistake, it is my platform. But you have your platform. And my platform might look different than your platform. But all of us have a platform that we can use to glorify God. All of us, God has given all of us a platform to use to speak his message. So it's in the stage, it's a platform. So Ezra stood on a platform. But why am I showing you this? Is because this is a very practical example of setting the stage. When I say set the stage, I'm saying you got to bring some levity to your life and leadership. You, you got to make things fun. I started this this year. My word for fun, hey, we got this new thing. It's a culture carousel. And really, it's just my way to punish people and have fun with it. And myself, I spin the wheel. And, you know, this is all, um, this is all like inside jokes that you wouldn't really get. Like this one, this is only going to make 
you know, sense to you if you're a church person, but this one is gross shell gains. And so like this, you got to do like 10 push-ups or jumping jacks. And that's only funny if you like church, but it's all inside jokes. This is what I mean by set the stage. You got to set the stage in your marriage. You got to set the stage in your work. You got to set the stage on your team. You got to find some way to turn your failures into fun. You got to find some ways to add some levity to your life, make things light, make things fun, make things happy. And I know you've got goals you want to hit. I'm glad you're a goal setter, but don't just set goals, set the stage, bring some fun. Joy is not going to happen accidentally. Celebration isn't sacrilegious. Look at what Nehemiah said in verse 10. He said, go and enjoy choice food and sweet drinks. How many of you have a new life verse right there? (laughs) Getting that tattooed on my arm. Go and enjoy choice food and sweet drinks. But look what else he says. This day is holy to our Lord. Don't grieve for the joy of the Lord is your strength. Here's the last thing. I'll close with this. Let holiness prompt your happiness. He says, this day is holy. So don't grieve. The joy of the Lord be your strength. Let holiness prompt your happiness. Now, I wanted to say holiness produces happiness. And in a sense, it does. Because ultimately, what God wants for our lives is holiness. And anything that doesn't make us holy ultimately won't make us happy. But I didn't feel like I could say holiness produces happiness because it's not automatic. If it was, Nehemiah wouldn't have had to say, don't grieve. So what I would tell you is let holiness prompt your happiness. And here's what I mean. I'm not denying reality. There are hard things in life. Let me make it clear. Everybody has trouble. Everybody has trouble. All I'm suggesting is to bring your trouble to church. Because church is the place where you get your burdens lifted. And I'm saying let holiness prompt your happiness because I see a lot of people that go through hard things in life and it keeps them away. Talk to one, I got some friends, I talked to one guy. I knew he was going through some stuff in his life and reached out to him and I was just encouraging him, saying, man, I want to see you take this step. I want to see you prioritize, like make sure you get here. And he said, oh, man, like just, I want to, but like I can, I can barely do church right now. Like all the stuff going on and I'm trying to prioritize my family. I'm trying to, like, I can barely do church. And he thought I was trying to get something from him. I was trying to get something to him. I want you to prioritize your family. I want you to prioritize them in church. Come as a family, come to church. Let God speak to you. Let him help you. I know you've got a lot going on in your life right now. I know you're focused on this stuff. I'm actually trying to help you focus your attention off of your problems and onto God where you can worship him and see he's bigger than your problem. I'm actually trying to help you get your eyes off of yourself and serve somebody because when you serve somebody, it, it changes your perspective about what you're going through. I, I'm not saying that life isn't hard. I'm just saying God is good. I'm not here to apologize for life. I'm just here to give you the good news of the gospel. And so 
when trouble comes, when hard times come, don't stay away. You got to come. That's what church is for. Bring your troubles with you and watch God lift the burdens. David said, I was glad when they said unto me, let us go to the house of the Lord. This is the place you come to get filled up. This is the place you come to get a new perspective. This is the place you come to let God meet you where you're at and help you. Joy doesn't happen accidentally, automatically. It happens with intentionality. We have to set the stage. We have to be intentional about putting some joy in the journey.